You're listening to That You Might Know, a series in the book of 1 John preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what we've experienced through your word, the scriptures that have been read, the songs that have been sung this morning. And Lord, our desire today is to exalt and lift up Jesus and Jesus alone. And so, Lord, for many of us this morning, we've come in with confusion and chaos, maybe even conflict, and I pray that whatever has happened before or whatever on our mind now, that you'd give us the ability to look to Christ, help us to be focused on him. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in our midst to every heart in this congregation this morning, and that you would do a work and an abiding work at that. Jesus, we love you. Give power, freedom, liberty, grace, and strength to the proclamation of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, and as you're seated, four- and five-year-olds, you are dismissed at this time. And again, if they need a sticker on their back, there'll be someone available to help them back there as well. I'm going to begin the message this morning with a quote that sort of captivated my heart um, a couple months ago, actually. And here's the quote. It says this, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them task and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I don't know if you get that or not, but the idea is, you want to build a ship, don't just start giving tasks out, don't try to just drum up people to do the work before you ever get there, give them a vision, give them an understanding of the endless immensity of the sea, because if people understand the endless immensity of the sea, its beauty, its majesty, its calling, they will automatically build a ship. In the kingdom work of Christ, in this world, and in our lives, it's not just drumming up people to do stuff and to hand out tasks and try to accomplish things. More than anything this morning, we long and desire to show the immensity, the endless beauty and value and worth of Jesus Christ, because when we get this, nothing else matters. The work will be done for his kingdom and in our lives. And so this morning, my prayer and desire is that this time spent now will be exactly that, that each and every one of us who know Christ will once again have our hearts ignited in love and devotion as we look into the immensity and the beauty and the love of who he is. And if you're here this morning without Christ, we pray that he would be clearly seen in your eyes today. Some of you have been here for a long time. You come, 
and you're lost. And others, maybe it's your first time. I don't know. But I do know this. The answer is Jesus Christ. Always Jesus Christ. Back in our text now, 1 John chapter 3. We've been working our way through. And John here in chapter 3 continues the thought of chapter 2. He is encouraging believers to live as you've been taught. You've been born again. Abide in him. Practice righteousness. And now in chapter 3, verse 1, John says this. Behold. Behold. uh, See. And, And there's this reflection from John as he's thinking and meditating on the message of salvation. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of who Jesus is, because they have been born again and brought into the family of God, behold, behold. It's as if John is just swept away in this truth. And this is not uncommon with New Testament writers. We are in a study now on 1 Timothy. And just last week we talked about Paul reflecting on the fact that he was the chief of sinners, not hyperbole. He killed believers. He sought them out, would travel 150 miles just to arrest them. And yet God's mercy came into his life, and as he reflects on that, he breaks out in this doxology. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, God only wise, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. And so here is John. He's reflecting now as he's writing to people he loves. And in the midst of it, he says, Behold, see, look. It's in this reflection that moves him. This is the natural outcome of reflection on Christ. Something happens. There's a quote this morning, actually, on the wall for worship and for the Sunday school by Mark Dever. Mark Dever is a pastor, um, written a number of books, been very helpful in my own personal life. And in his life, he's very honest. And he said this a while back. He said, I think in my own pastoral work that every week I have to open the word, be in the word, preach the word, and teach the word. And he said, I just wonder if I wasn't in ministry, how often would I be in the book? And how much would I reflect upon the word of God? If I wasn't made to do that, And it so convicted me. I think in my own life, I might be the laziest guy out there. Because the truth is, if in my life, I did not have to be in the Word, it might just be that I wasn't in the Word much. And that's an honest profession. I know my own heart, and I'm aware of that, and I'm honestly working on that to take the time myself to reflect on Christ and who He is and what He's done. It helps me be aware that in our congregation, there are moms and mechanics There are shift workers and salespeople. There are company owners and construction workers and everyone in between. And life happens. You don't have time to sit for hours. You don't get paid to sit for hours and to open the book and read the book and reflect on the book. And I get it and I understand that. But may I submit to you and to myself this morning, we can and must reflect on the person of Jesus Christ who he is, what he has done in our life, and trace his hand throughout all of it. Rehearse your redemption. It has been said that hope springs from truth rehearsed. When we rehearse our redemption, when we reflect, when we, like John, say, behold, see, 
It brings us to a place of praise and the ordering of our priorities. And this is how John begins. He says, behold, behold. Hey, you, yes, you're glad that you're here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at stuff in the back. I'm thinking, I, I think we did that already. Behold. Look what he says next. Behold, I've been reflecting now what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Notice what he says. He says, what manner, not just what love. As John is viewing Christ and his own life, he says, behold, what manner of love. What sort of love is this? What are we talking about? Where does this love come from? What world is this love that I'm thinking about and writing about? What sort of love is this? It's as if John is wide-eyed and mystified as he thinks about what manner of love. What sort of love are we talking about? And I think the reason that John is so mystified by this is because John knows himself. Do you know in the gospel account that John writes, he often has this strange phrase that says, the disciple who Jesus loved. And you think, how arrogant is that? It is not arrogant, my friend. John was so amazed at the manner of love that Christ had for him because John knew himself. John knew he was unlovely. Remember, he's the kid that wanted to call fire down on the Samaritans, right? He's the one that when Christ just said, I'm going to die on the cross, he says with his brother, what place do we have in the kingdom? He was unlovely and undeserving. And so, knowing himself and seeing the cross, he cries out, what manner, what kind of love is this, especially to the one who is unloving and undeserving? May I say this morning that we, like John, are unlovable and undeserving. That is who we are. And this morning we must be honest with who we are. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. And sin separated. The breach was far too wide. Believer, do you remember this morning that I and you a wretch. And the, and the breach was far too wide. There was nothing we could do to span the chasm. We are unlovely and undeserving this morning. And that's exactly how the Bible betray, portrays us in the verses that were read from Titus chapter 3. Let me remind you what he says in verse number 3. This is for all of us. He says, before Christ, we were foolish. Foolish. Literally, we were stupid. Do you know this morning that all sin, your sin and my sin, when we're in it, it makes sense. When we're in it, it looks good. But from the outside, all sin, and in reality, it is stupid. Not only that, he said we were disobedient. Before Christ, stubborn. I don't need you. I don't need your laws. I have my own way. I'm my own God. I am disobedient and stubborn. He says, deceived. Deceived. Led away. 
Like, we didn't even know what we were getting caught into. We were so, we were easy marks for sin. I was thinking about that this week, and I, I just remembered as a kid going to the carnival. Remember the carnival? Or we had carnivals. Do we still have carnivals? Do we have fairs or whatever? And going with a pocket full of money because I was going to win a prize. And so what I did was I went to the milk jug, the milk jug thing. You remember the milk jugs? How many folks remember what I'm talking about? Okay, you're all old. Okay, good. But what I did not know is those milk jugs were concrete. And so I, as a 10-year-old kid, was an easy mark for the guy behind the booth because I wasn't going to win the game. Tons of cash in my pocket, but I was a loser. The fact of the matter is, this is what we've done. We have been led astray. We were all easy marks for sin. He goes on, serving various lusts and pleasures. That idea of serving there means we were slaves. Slaves. Listen, sin can promise us the world, and it has, but ultimately it leads to bondage. We, are, we were enslaved by our sin. Serving divers pleasures and lust. Any passion that we wanted, we pursued. We pursued. Living in malice and envy. Going through life with a chip on your shoulder. Life's not fair. Hating everyone. I didn't get what I deserve. Hateful and hating one another, especially those unlike us. But he goes on to say this. This is who we were, yet the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. And it appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. And his mercy then was not just displayed. It was poured out abundantly for you and for me. And now he makes us heirs to him. What manner of love is this? When sin separates and the breach was far too wide, this is the manner of love. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. You made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed, broke my chains, freed my soul, and for the first time, I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, you have washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. What manner of love is this? It is a love that we cannot comprehend, a love that the God of heaven, an undeserving unlovable, wicked, enemy combatants of him. Cosmic rebellion. And yet, this is the love of Christ. His kindness is poured upon us. So that, John says, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. This, for John, is mind-blowing. As he thinks about himself, as he thinks about this manner of love, that God would love us so much that now, the people we used to be, it's not who we are, we are called now the children of God. Children of God. He says this, Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. It's an amazing thing to me that Christ came to the world and the world had no idea who he was. Look at John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, 
and the world did not know him. Christ comes, the maker of all things, the word that spoke it all into existence. He came into the world, and as he showed up in this world, the world had no idea who he was. The verse goes on. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He then comes to a specific group of people, Israel, who were waiting and longing for the Messiah. They were looking for him, especially during this time. And he comes and shows up, and he comes to them, and they don't receive him. They don't recognize him. And the reason for this is, is because they viewed the external. Historians tell us, as they look back on the remains of people from the first century, that the average height of a male in the first century Palestine was between 5'5 five, five and 5'8". Five, it was the average height. I don't know what you think of when you think of Jesus, but let me help you. He was not a white, six-foot, um, blonde-headed Anglo-Saxon with beautiful blue eyes. You need to get that out of your mind. He was a small Jewish man, and he shows up. And the Bible reminds us that there was no majesty to him. He didn't look royal at all. He, he looked like an average carpenter. There was no beauty in him, no second look as he went by. It wasn't like, wow, did you see that guy? It was not him. He was not esteemed. He was despised and rejected, acquainted with grief. And eventually, Isaiah 52 says, he was so marred by the scourging, the beating, the piercing, the spitting, that he wasn't even recognizable as a human being. There was no human semblance. They viewed him externally. They did not know who he was. But if they weren't visually impaired to the eternal, they would have seen that the God of creation came and enrobed himself in flesh and walked among us. The world did not know him. They had no idea. No idea. And John says we are the children of God. And the world, because it didn't know him and still doesn't know him, doesn't know you. I have to let you know something this morning. I think you're aware. But we are living in a culture now that is post-Christian. Right? The West has lost its moral um, moorings. It's, it's not, we, we have drifted away from our foundations. And as the world views Orthodox Christianity, which is what we are, it does not know who we are, but as it looks at us now, it sees a people, Orthodox Christians, who are not good people. They view us as cultic people that are out of touch with reality, that we are obscurantists, that we have no idea. A matter of fact, that Christian people in this nation are actually in the way of progress that you're getting in the way, that you don't understand, that you are on the wrong side of history. That's the way we're being viewed now, and as time goes on, it will be the way we will be viewed over and over again. Why? Because the world didn't know him. It does not know you. And the problem for many of us this morning is that we don't know ourselves. He says, beloved, now are you the children of God. 
And for many of us this morning, as we view our own selves, not even understanding what John is talking about, we see ourselves without splendor or majesty. We think we have little value or worth. We sense that we have been forgotten or unseen. We think our past mistakes are the sum total of who we are, the missteps in our lives. We are weak. We are undone. I'm just an old man. I'm just a scrawny teen. I was looking for one this morning. I can't. I'm just a plain Jane. That's who I am. And John says, no. He says, we are called the children of God. The world doesn't know us. But verse 2, beloved, now are we the children of God. This morning, believer, we are now sons and daughters of the King. This is your new identity This is who we truly are, not what we hope to be, not what we pretend to be on social media, not our past or what people have told us we are. This is who we are this morning. And John is so taken by this thought. What manner of love is this that now we should be called the children of God? We must quit listening to what the world says about us and quit listening to the lies we tell ourselves. There's an amazing verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It's not there. But Paul is talking about the believer and understanding that we are just vessels of clay. He says this, though, that we, we are treasures within. There is a treasure in house in this body. We are now the children of God. Beloved, value, dignity, worth. You are seen and adored. We are cleansed. We are made righteous. We are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. We are royalty. In this congregation this morning, I am speaking to men and women who are sons and daughters of the King. That is who we are. And my friend, we are not on the wrong side of history. We're on the right side because it's his story. We win. The world does not know who we are. It did not know him. But John says, truly, we are now the sons and daughters of God. And there's more. Verse 2, beloved, now are we the children of God? And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John says, right now, we are the children of God. And yet, there's more to come. There's more to come. There is something coming for every brother and sister in Christ. And as glorious of the truth that we are children of God, he says there's more. He says the best is yet to come. Look again at the verse. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall see him like his, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John says, Behold what manner of love. What kind of love is this? We've been made children of God, and right now we're children of God. But I want you to know something. There is more coming. There is coming something in the future that when we see Christ, We will be changed. We will be completely transformed. We will be turned into his image. We will see him as he is. Not as he was on this earth. Not even as we see in our eyes of faith, but as he truly is glorious. This is what David talked about in Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. John says, listen, now are we children of God. And we have no idea. The privilege of that in itself is glorious, but there is more to come, and we can't even fathom what that is. We will see him, and we will be like him. What does that mean? 
I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. When I was a kid, and maybe this is still going around, but there was this theology that said, when we see Christ and become like him, we will all be 33-year-old men. Anybody ever hear that before? Yes, yes. Do you know how weird that is? I mean, that's crazy, spooky, freaky, weird, that my wife in heaven will be a 33-year-old man. Right? My mother, my grandmother, my sisters in Christ. Hey, you look familiar. You're a 33-year-old. Oh, hi, sister. That's weird. That's like what our world will do. It's not, that's not what he's talking about there. He says that when we see him, we will be like him. His moral purity, our transformation that happens from the day we are saved until we meet him face to face, in that moment, it will be complete. And we will be like him. Now, the truth of the matter is, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. But know this. Whatever that is for you and I, it is so glorious that it will constitute praise, adoration, and worship for all eternity. The struggle of our flesh and sin will be gone. We will be completely perfect. We will love. We will be known as we are known. We will know one another. This is where we're headed. This is what we will be like. We will be like him. So John says this in verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Children of God, it's who we are. The best is yet to come. Not exactly sure what that looks like, but I want you to know when we see him face to face, we will be changed and we will be like him. And he says, in light of that truth, knowing we're part of this eternal family, knowing we will see him face to face, knowing we'll be completely transformed by him, then each and every one of us today, right now, in light of that truth, should respond with gratitude and seek to mirror his image today. If this is what I'm going to be in the future it should motivate me today to live the life that starts now to reflect the beauty, the glory, and the grace of Jesus Christ. Brother and sister this morning, are we living in our lives in light of what, who we are now and what we shall be? We will be transformed. We will be like him. And John says, if that's our hope, we will purify ourselves today. Now, in light of what John has said this morning, let me give you three points of application. Number one, as children of God this morning, we must make him known in the world. The fact of the matter is, in the world we live today, Christ is not known in the West. Or, if he's known, it's not who he truly is. There's a song in the past that said, I want to know the real Jesus because there's a lot of false Jesuses out there. And the truth of the matter is, for believers today, we are to make him known. If you and I have been rescued, if our eyes have been opened, if we're safe and secure for eternity in Christ, it is incumbent upon us now to take that message and that hope Our chains have been broken. Our souls have been set free. We have hope within. That is the message that our world must hear today. And every man and woman, no matter who they are, they need to hear that. And what we do is, we see someone and we think, 
They would never. Don't disregard people. You have no idea where they're at. They need to know Christ. When I was younger, we would go door to door at the church I, I, I used to uh, youth pastor at. And I'll never forget walking down a sidewalk, and we would literally knock on the doors and ask people, if you die today, do you know you go to heaven? That sparked some interesting conversations or some door slams or some verbal abuse. And I remember walking down on a summer day. I was talking to someone, and I looked about five houses down, and there was a mountain of a man in his yard raking. He was 6'7". He was huge. He looked like a, a lumberjack, and he looked angry. I think his wife had sent him out to do some yard work. He was not happy. And in my mind, I was thinking, oh, God, please let him go in the house. Please let, because I knew I, I got to talk to this guy. And then for the, the door before, he's still on his yard. We make eye contact. And I'm terrified, just terrified. And so I went up and I said, hey, excuse me, sir. Looks like you're busy. He just grunted. And um, I said, hey, I, this is a gospel track, some good news. We're just asking people a simple question. If you die today, do you know that heaven's your home? And at this point, I'm waiting to be killed, right? <laughs> so that's interesting. I've just been thinking about eternity. I stood with that man for 20 or 30 minutes as he made a public profession of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. That could be part of our stories as well. We are to know him and make him known. My friend, listen to me. What we love, we talk about. What we love, we talk about. I, I was just in my office the other day, and, and people were talking about their dogs. Not only were they talking about their dogs, they had pictures of their dogs. And so they opened up their phone and they said, hey, look at these are our dogs. We love our dogs. And I'm talking about pictures of the dogs. It's like, that's weird. And then I pull up my phone and show them a picture of my dogs. <laughs> right? It used to be grandbabies and now it's dogs. Do you know what happens? What we love comes out of us. And for many of us as believers, what are we loving? Who are we loving? We'll talk about sports. We'll talk about our kids and grandkids. We'll talk about our future. We'll talk about how to make money. We'll talk about our work. We'll talk about... We are to make him known. Be persistent in your, wisp, in your wisdom, in your witnessing. I'm sorry. Speak his name. Carry tracts. Be patient with the world. Believer, as a child of God, make him known to the world, but be patient with the world. They're lost. They're blind. They don't understand. Be patient. Don't be upset with the world when they act like the world. They're acting in line with their nature, just as you did before you came to Christ. They don't see. They don't get it. They, under, they don't understand. We must be different with them. You and I should be living lives this morning that as a, as a lost, hopeless, dying world looks into our lives, there's something attractive about it. Like, we have hope. We have peace. Our families aren't perfect, but we're loving on each other. We're doing good to our neighbors. We're being right by people. We, as children of God, must make him known. Show the beauty of true faith. Number two, we as children of God must know others truly. This morning, if you are a believer in Christ, you've been placed into a family. Um, it doesn't matter what your family was like in the past, whether it's dysfunction or solid. 
But now in Christ, you are part of the family of God. It's a beautiful thought. We were talking with a dear couple the other day who have no family around here. As a matter of fact, they've been disowned by their family. And the glory and the beauty of being connected to a family of brothers and sisters in Christ is a beautiful thing. I think we take that for granted, and we should not. It's beautiful. But even greater than that, not only are we a family, but the members, we as part of this family, are literally sons and daughters of God. And as we look into the face of each other, we're not just looking at the external. We are looking at a son or a daughter of the king. How we treat someone's children is really important. There are people in my life who have been good to my kids, even in their ugliness. And those people can be strange or difficult or whatever, but you know I love those people. I love them because of the way they treat my children. It's important how we treat someone's kids. As I look around this room, believers in Christ are children of God, sons and daughters. And in that thought, it should change the way we interact with one another. In our marriages, Christian men, can I tell you something? Your wife is a daughter of God. And her father does care how you treat her. You are called to pour your life out for her, to be wrung out for her, to wash her with the word, to protect, to provide, to nourish. She is a daughter of God. And so the next time you talk with her and you're upset with her, you might want to think that this woman is a daughter of a king. It's the same for every woman in this church. The church of Jesus Christ with brothers and sisters ought to be a safe place for every daughter of God here. You honor, you respect, you care for and protect women who are all women, but in this place, daughters of the king. It changes our relationships and our thoughts of one another. Teenagers, let me talk to you for a minute. I know you think your parents are stupid. I know you think they know nothing on this planet. Was it Mark Twain that when he was younger, uh, talked about how stupid his father was, and then he went away, I think, to school, and like 10 years later he came back and couldn't believe how smart his father actually got while he was away? That's how it works, right? Listen to me. I promise you, we all think the same thing. Those guys are rockheads. They have no idea. They just want to keep me constrained and keep me from fun. And listen to me, your parents, if they're in Christ, they are children of God. They are sons and daughters of the king. And if they're anything in the Christian life, they love you and care for you. And it might be wise for you to listen and to respect them and see them for who they are, not just your parents. They're royalty. Don't you love that, parents? You're royalty. Respect them, love them. And it works the other way as well. Parents, you have saved all of your children, but save children. Quit looking at all the, they are sons and daughters of the king. Church members, we gather together, and you look in someone's face, they're sons and daughters of the king. 
It changes the way we, we, we interact with one. It changes how we talk to people. It's cha- it should change the way we view people. Child of God, we must make him known. Child of God, we must truly know others this morning. And then finally, child of God, you must know yourself. Just know yourself. I don't know where you've come out of. I don't know the past of every story here. I, I do know a few. But believer in Christ, your identity is not who you used to be. Your identity this morning is who you are in Jesus Christ. And whatever past that you had, whatever mistakes you have made, whatever sin had you in bondage, whatever shame that you carried, can I tell you something? That is not who we are. That doesn't identify me today. It doesn't identify you today. Regardless of our past, our track record, or even our presence this morning, we have value and worth and dignity. We are a child of God. That's who I am. That's who I am today. I need not impress anyone. We have an audience of one. Quit trying to find value and worth and acceptance in paths that will, they will never satisfy you. Quit the fake life on social media. That, that will never, what, for a like? What happens when you don't have 10 or 20 or 1,000? That's not who we are. That's not our identity. I don't need someone to validate who I am this morning. Well, you're not so smart, or you're not so rich, or you're not so good looking. It doesn't matter. I know who I am. And that's not arrogance. It's gratitude that Christ came in. I've been adopted into the family of God this morning. I am a child of God, and so are you. This is our identity. Know yourself and who you are. And then, know who you will be. John says, this is glorious. You're a child of God right now, at this moment. But i got to tell you something. More is coming. And I'm not exactly sure. Here's John. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I know this. When we see him, we will be like him and will constitute glory and praise and honor and adoration and love forever and ever and ever and ever. That's who we're going to be. And in light of that, we must live today in light of that with transformed lives. Believer, we are not neutral this morning. You and I are either becoming stronger or weaker. You are either growing in Christ or you're growing backwards. We do not drift into holiness. It's not like, I'm going to stay here, I'm going to be neutral, and all of a sudden I'm going to wake up, I'm going to be holy and like Jesus. My temper is going to change. My lust are going to change. My laziness is going to change. No, we are not neutral. You are not neutral. And some of you have been sitting in church for a long, long time doing nothing and forgetting what you will be someday. We're not neutral. Owen said this, keep killing sin or sin will be killing you. And those behaviors in our life that are inconsistent with who we are now and who we will be must be dealt with. We used to mock the fundamentalists. Many of us have grown up in in fundamental homes and think, ah, they're just, you know, the fundamentalists. Don't do this and don't do that. But I'll tell you where they were right. In holy living. Because they knew the truth that what I see and what I consume and what I read and what I watch and what takes up my time does impact how I live my Christian life. 
Our hearts are like gardens. Your heart's like a garden. Can I tell you, weeds are growing all the time. All the time. They must be rooted out. And so, understand this morning, we are children of God. But what we're going to be someday, being children of God is enough to make my father proud, that I can be identified as one of his, but I will be transformed. And in that light of transformation, I must live today as a person I will be. And so this morning, I do want to build a ship. I do. I want to build a ship in my own life, a relationship with Christ. But it's not just doing tasks and doing stuff. It's seeing the immensity of who he is and being swept away with that. And so this morning, as we leave this place, I want you to go back to 1 John 3 and hear John's words as with rapture he says, Behold, what manner, what kind of love is this that we should be called the children of God? What kind of love? Well, it's amazing love. It's a love that demands my heart, my soul, and my all. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this truth. It is true. Lord, I pray that it would sink into my heart and the hearts of your people this morning. We are amazed at the manner of love that you have bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons and daughters of God. And that's who we are. Lord, help us to embrace our identity now as we face this world, with our past, our mistakes, our pitfalls and failures. And Lord, help us to view what we'll be, what we will be, who we will be. We will be like Jesus because we will see him face to face. And in light of that truth, Father, help us today as we look at our world that doesn't know you, as we look at other believers that we do life with, as we view ourselves, that we would be actively engaged in guarding our hearts of being fruitful for you, of representing Christ in a way that he is worthy of. For we ask in his name, amen. Join me in standing as we conclude the service now with How Great Thou Art. What a wonderful hymn to end with. If you're in need of prayer this morning, we invite you to come either during the time of song or afterwards, and someone will pray for you this morning. God bless you. You're listening to That You Might Know, a series in the book of First John preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.